Good. Well, we're going to be looking together into the Bible and into uh, a book, a chapter in the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, and we'll find it uh, in, uh, on, in our, the Bible's with us, uh, these blue ones on page 45. We'll look at that uh, it together in a moment or two. Uh, I've been, I don't know whether it's because of quite where I am in like, the stage of my life, but uh, I was kind of reflecting over the, my Christian life, my Christian experience. And I realized during the sabbatical I had last year that it was like then, almost kind of 50 years since I became a Christian. 50 years. Some of you are thinking, wow, how did you become a Christian when you were just a fetus or something like that? <laughs> Maybe you weren't thinking that. And I, I need to say that, <laughs> that it was as I was kind of in my 60th year or so, and I became a Christian about age 11-ish, um, that uh, it was kind of that reflection uh, that kind of time of life made me think about it. And, you know, as I reflected, and maybe it's true in your life as well, I was perhaps, I don't know, maybe a bit uh, aware and maybe a bit um, slightly less uh, proud of the fact that looking back, my kind of spiritual confidence or the strength of my faith, uh, as you might say, the sense of spiritual well-being is just so often connected with circumstances our faith our sense of spiritual well-being is so often connected to our circumstances now i wonder whether anyone else uh, you know anyone else find that to be the case sometimes i don't know maybe it's just me perhaps you're like that you know it's fine when things are going really well you know i can look back at a time in my life when when i was a student i was involved with the christian union and uh, you know everything was going really great and lots of people were coming to know jesus and then i that kind of carried on really in my early 20s when i worked with christian unions and we we just had you know just a great time and it was it, yeah then in one sense struggles with faith were not particularly an issue then because god was seemed to be doing so many things and at the other end of the extreme sometimes when it's really difficult Actually, it, 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 it's, surprisingly, um, how, uh, it's surprisingly easy not to struggle. I mean, maybe that's not true for everyone, but I can think some of you may remember about six years ago, um, I saw a doctor, well, two doctors, uh, one specialist, who said that they were pretty sure I had cancer. And um, I had a stomach operation and all of that, and there was about six months of my life taken up with that. And actually, I didn't have cancer, but... Through that time, it was an interesting journey. There was something. They took something out of my stomach, but that's another story. But, uh, you know, through that journey, uh, it was one of the periods where I found actually struggling with my faith was, was not a problem because, in a sense, I was super aware that God was there in that really difficult, potentially, time. But it's more the times when, um, you know, more, the circumstances are more mixed, you know, or, or particularly waiting. I mean, for, in my life, I, I spent most of the 90s, not just doing this, but, but there was a sense of waiting for, for, for some, another form of ministry, another, another, another kind of way to, to serve God. And that lasted a decade or more. And I, that was the time, I think, when I struggled with my faith the most because, you know, it, yeah, things were going all right, but there was this thing that was kind of hanging kind of over me, as it were. And I guess most of us may find it hard for our faith to be immune from things that happen. Our faith isn't immune, is it, from things that happen to us. Sure, we know verses in the Bible like uh, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 
Uh, no, we've got it. Thank you. It's not working. Can we? I'm clicking it. Can we just? Can you just move it on then? But if I give you a cue, thank you. One Thessalonians five sixteen to eighteen verses in the Bible that say this. It should be coming up on the screen. That's it. Oh, it's gone again. Okay. Am I doing it or are you doing it? Okay. Fine. Uh, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We know that, that in all circumstances, we're, we're kind of meant to be praising God. We know that Paul said, didn't he? I can, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. You know, we know these verses, but we also know that that's not easy in today's world. Actually, it's not easy in today's church. I don't know about you, but I find that there's so, we, we kind of know so much, or there's so much information around us about what being a Christian should be. You know, you can read books on, you should be victorious in this, and you should be healed in that, or, or you know, this church doesn't sound on this thing, and this one isn't, you know, there's so much kind of stuff out there. I often wish, in a way, that we were where Paul was, where he had the gospel, he had the Holy Spirit, had the Lord, and, and you know, life, you know, he didn't have all this other stuff coming at him from all over the place. And sometimes I think it's harder for us just to be content in all circumstances so today I want us particularly to think about this how do we grow a faith that is stronger than circumstances okay how do we do that we've been looking into the life of Joseph one of our spiritual ancestors in the family of faith Joseph knew about this. He knew his trust in God. You know, he carried on despite what was happening to him. And we're looking at his life in Genesis together. And it's great because you get this big overview of the sweep of his life. You know, as Lou said, we, you know, we, when we first meet him, he's age 17. A few things happen, and now he's age 30 at the end of this chapter. And you've got this big overview. Obviously, you don't see all the little bits in between, all the struggles, all the stuff that he had. We see some of them, but not all of them. And it's moving all the time because it's a whole load of, you know, what is it, in the period we've had, 13 years squeezed into a few chapters. You know, I wonder what my life would look like written up like that. I wonder what yours would look like as you take the big sweep of how you've known God, how we've known God in our lives. Well, let's read the passage then. Not all of it. We're going to have to read extracts. It's a brilliant and exciting story, uh, but it's also nearly 58 verses. So we'll see how we go. Let's start with verse 1. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile when out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. Then Pharaoh, Pharaoh's the king of Egypt, where uh, Joseph is in prison, by the way, Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again, as you do, and had a second dream. Seven ears of corn, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other ears of corn sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin ears of corn swallowed up the seven healthy full ears. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. 
In the morning, his mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I'm reminded of my shortcomings. Almost like he's slapping his forehead. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was impaled. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, and he tells him the dream, and we've just read that, so we go to verse 25. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven, are, are, are seven years, and the seven good ears of corn are seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterwards, and so are the seven worthless ears of corn scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will ravage the land. And then verse 32. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God, and God will do it soon. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. And Joseph then goes and explains he had, a, he had an idea that how Pharaoh could overcome this and manage this crisis. And then verse 37, the plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people. I submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And then it goes on to explain how he got a ring and a special chariot and all that kind of stuff. And then verse 45 tells us that um, uh, Pharaoh gave him a new name. And gives him a, a wife. And verse 46 says, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of the king of Pharaoh. Pharaoh, king of Egypt rather. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. During seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. And it tells how Joseph had arranged for uh, food to be set aside in, in each city, in each place, and uh, during the good years, and so on. And then verse 50, before the years of famine came... Two sons were born to Joseph by Azanath, daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. She was the a woman that he'd been given as his wife. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's house. The second son he named Ephraim and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end and the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph has said. 
And then it explains how everyone felt the famine, the people of Pharaoh uh, of Egypt get food because uh, Joseph arranges all of that. And actually, it then goes on, verse 56. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened up the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere. Wow. Quite an account, isn't it? Joseph's in prison one minute, and the next minute, he's like prime minister. So, how to grow faith that is stronger than circumstances? Bill, can we put the next thing up, please? Here's the first thing. Keep trusting in God. As we've seen, Joseph is now in prison, isn't he? God is with him, we've heard, in everything he does. We saw a couple of weeks ago, that, and last week too, that Joseph is actively trusting God. God is with him in everything he does. He's not just sitting back. He's actively involved, doing the things he can do, making a contribution. But God is with him in that. And we heard last week about what happened with the baker and the butler. Two of Pharaoh's top officials are in the prison with him. They have dreams and, and Joseph says to them, look, God can help you. And just as it was before when he was uh, you know, in difficult circumstances, he holds on to God. He keeps trusting God. He knows three things about God. That God is good. That God is faithful. And we've been kind of focusing on that. But here's a third one. God is present. God is with him. And that's a really key thing. He keeps believing that. He keeps living that out. It seems like there's a chance that it could all end. You remember last week, the cupbearer's dream is interpreted and Joseph says to the cupbearer, look, when when you get out of here, mention my name to Pharaoh because I'm in a bit of a state. But the cupbearer forgot. Or maybe he deliberately forgot, as Dan said last week. But there's another two years of waiting. Do you notice that in that first verse? Two full years. Two whole years. Two years. 365 days times two. Whatever that is. 700 and whatever. 30, 40, whatever, I don't know. 30. Is it? Yeah, something like that. 700, nearly 750 days of waiting. Day by day. And then after two years, something happens. Pharaoh has a dream. Now, there's two words here, and they connect with the previous chapter. The first word is Pharaoh, and the second word is dream. Do you remember what happened last, last time? It was because Pharaoh's servants were in the prison. You know, the top officials were in the prison with Joseph, and they had dreams. Now, Pharaoh himself has a bad night. And as Joseph trusts God, as we see in these terrible circumstances, and they were terrible for him, So God is working through these circumstances. So actually, as it happens, if Joseph hadn't been in prison, if he hadn't experienced all that was awful, awful, actually if he hadn't gone on for those other two years, he'd have just got out on Pharaoh's pardon. What if, you know, he just got out of prison, Pharaoh said, yeah, you can come out of prison, disappeared off, I don't know where he went. But because he was still there, somehow, in those circumstances, he was in the right place at the right time, even though there was a two-year wait for him to be right at the center of what was going to happen next. Romans 8, verse 28, we've often mentioned, 
it says that God works for good in all things with those who love him. Terrible things happen, but God can work good in terrible things. It doesn't mean he sends those terrible things directly, but he can work in our terrible circumstances. And he does. In fact, he promises he will work for good. So Pharaoh's terrible night leads to the cupbearer remembering. Is that really, really remembering? Did he really slap his forehead and say, oh, Joseph? Or maybe, as Dan said last week, he deliberately forgot. He couldn't give a fig about Joseph. But now he's got a chance to impress the boss. Oh, maybe I'm the one who could find this man to interpret your dream. But whatever his motives, Joseph is out of prison, isn't he? God is working. He gets out, he has a shave, probably that's his whole body. You know, Hebrews were quite hairy people, uh, apparently. And uh, uh, Egyptians love to be completely clean-shaven. So, so he got cleaned up so that he was fit to go into um, uh, Pharaoh's presence. And he goes and talks to Pharaoh. And what does he say? He says to Pharaoh, God can tell you. God is revealing something to you. You see, Joseph points Pharaoh to God. It's what Joseph has been doing for the last 10 years, isn't it? Pointing people to God. Not stopping believing in God. Not stopping trusting in God. Not stopping kind of living in the presence of God. It's what Joseph has been doing. And he carries on doing it. Because it keeps his faith stronger than circumstances. He hangs on. Trusting in God's goodness, his faithfulness and his presence. God is present says Joseph, God is with me, my God can tell you, because he's with me, I know him, he can speak, he's revealing something to you, just like in Potiphar's house, what did he say when temptation came, my God is present, I'm not going to sleep with you Mrs. Potiphar, because my God is here, and I'm going to honor him, same thing, what does he say to the cupbearer and the, uh, and the baker in prison, yeah, I can tell you the dream. No, he doesn't. I, my God is with you, with me. He's here for you, with me now. He's trusting in the presence of God. And later, as he looks back on it, as he gives his son's names, he says, God has made me forget. God has made me fruitful. He said, God has been with me. God has been working. He's acknowledging. He's living with the presence of God in his life. He keeps trusting God. That is the norm for his life with God. So if we want to grow faith that's stronger than circumstances, we need to keep actively believing and trusting in the God who is faithful and good and present with us. Even when God is silent, he is still present. We can live and cultivate that awareness of his presence. Watch this clip for a moment. This is from Pete Gregg. He uh, started the 24-7 prayer movement. This is him talking about finding the presence of God in this really uh, tough place. help someone to, to find a voice to speak to God again the first thing to say is that we mustn't misunderstand God's silence for his absence because he says I'll never leave you I'll never forsake you 
Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for God is with me in that place. We always want God to airlift us out of our problems, but more often, in my experience, he parachutes in and joins us in the midst of them. And that is our experience. For us, the valley of the shadow of death has often looked like the MRI scanner. And when Sammy goes in to those, you know, you can't even wear your wedding ring in there. You are really alone, and she'll be in there for at least half an hour, and it's noisy. And I know some people just go in because they've got some tissue issues they need to look. But for her, it's, sometimes it's really going to tell her what her future is. And um, she learned very quickly that by memorizing Psalm 91 and repeating it in her head, she could be pulled out of this tube and say, God was with me in there. It, no one else could be, but God was. This is the hope we have in Christ. Now, let's, let's just say one more tiny thing, and it's this. Um, one time, because I, I've never been very good at Christianity. I think we'll, we'll cut there, thank you. I'll put the whole of that clip on our Facebook page so you can, you can watch it all later if you'd like to. Intentionally seeking God, like Sammy, Pete's wife did, even in the MRI scanner, knowing that he is with her in that place. We were talking about this as house group leaders. Some of a little group of us were talking about how we can intentionally seek God, acknowledging his presence in a crisis, just day by day. Lord, we could pray you're good, you're faithful. Be present with me today that that might spill over to other people. Try it. Just pray that the beginning of a day. Joseph does it naturally. When it's tough in temptation, when he's in prison, when he doesn't know what to do, or when he's successful with Pharaoh, it's the same. It just overflows with wisdom from the Holy Spirit. God speaks to him. Even Pharaoh says, this man's got a spiritual gift of wisdom. It spills out of him as he keeps trusting God. We can grow faith that's stronger than circumstances as we keep trusting God. But we can also, secondly, as Joseph did, be open to God's bigger purposes. Think about that two-year wait for a moment. What was Joseph's plan? What did Joseph have in mind? Remember what Joseph's plan was? Well, he said, you know, if, if the cupbearer could just mention it to Pharaoh, he could get out of prison and go off on his way. What was God's plan? Well, it was quite a bit bigger, wasn't it? It was much more than Joseph could have imagined. God has a bigger plan for, for Joseph, a bigger plan for Egypt, and ultimately for the world through what's going to happen when he comes out of this two-year wait. You see, a faith that's stronger than the circumstances comes out of a trust in God's bigger plans, bigger than our small kind of possibilities. You know, there's a verse in Ephesians 3, isn't there, where Paul prays that, saying that God can do uh, more than we ask or more than we can imagine. You see, Joseph saw it as being all about him, all about this situation, all about now. It's about me here and now and that's fair enough that's how we see things there's nothing wrong with that but that's how that was joseph's perspective but god had a bigger idea 
It was much more than me here and now. There was a bigger purpose that he was working out. Now, again, again, maybe we can just get that into our lives a bit. That God may have purposes that we don't understand. That are bigger than our wildest imaginations. But he'll be working it out and we can trust him. God's purpose is good, perfect. It's a blessing. But it's way beyond what I can see most of the time. I don't know about you. If you look back and think, gosh, that, that, wow, I never saw that. That was amazing. Never thought that would happen. And we see this in Joseph's life. We see it through his son's names. Actually, it's quite interesting because it, it, the, the way he names his sons point to the fact that God has not just a bigger plan in its overall dimensions for Joseph's life, but God has something to do much deeper in Joseph's life as well. And we'll be looking at that next week, all that baggage he had with him in Egypt. For God, uh, jo- Joseph names his son, verse 51, God has made me forget all my trouble. He's made me forget my family, he says of Manasseh. Of Ephraim, he says, God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Now, that's interesting. Actually, they're contradictory. Didn't you just say, Joseph, that you've forgotten your troubles? <laughs> Didn't you just say that God had made you forget them all? And forget your family, forget Canaan? And then the next son, he calls, God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Oh, I thought you'd forgotten about your suffering, Joseph. Uh, oh, um, I thought that uh, the only land that existed was, was Egypt. You see, Joseph's not got the whole picture yet. God is going to be working stuff in him. And so God's purpose is not only just bigger in the kind of scope of it, but it's bigger in the depth of it for us, into our lives, what he has in mind to do in your life and mine, to change us, to bring us more in line with what Jesus is like and and his purposes for us in Christ. God has more to teach Joseph, more to do in his life. And it's so for us. So, but to be open to that, be aware of that. Be asking, Lord, what do you want to do in my life that's bigger than what I can see, that's deeper than what I know at this point? When we're stuck in difficult circumstances, there's more than we can see. There's more that he wants to do in us. And as we trust in him and live with him, we trust he's working it out, even if we don't see it. Just a small example. Um, I heard a story uh, just recently um, of a first-year student who came to a university town and became a Christian as a first year. In a, a quiet moment, he was reflecting. I think he met some CU folks or some navigator or some Christians anyway. And um, he was reflecting. And he was thinking about his friends at home. And he thought to himself, you know, they've got something I don't have. It's Jesus. And this student, in this quiet moment, asked Jesus into his life. Wow. Think about those friends back home. They just live their life. They just carried on. They probably don't know why. I hope they do know about it. I don't know. I don't know all the details of the story. hope they find out or found out. But you see, as they just lived their life, God was doing something much bigger. That friend they had, they didn't know he'd go to that university and remember that there was something different about them and he gave his life to Jesus. God's purposes. Be open to God doing bigger things, deeper things in us than 
we can ask or imagine. The third thing, the third way to grow that faith that's stronger than circumstances is to know that God's promise will be fulfilled. Look at verse 28 and verse 32. Joseph said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Verse 32, the reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. Digression for those of you who like these things. Interesting, there are three sets of two dreams in the book of, in the story of Joseph, and they all kind of connect together. You can figure that out for yourself. But anyway, for the, the moment, the point I want to make is that these, the, these dreams, God has revealed to Pharaoh, to Jehovah, what he is going to do. God has promised something, and he is going to do it. You see, we grow a faith that's stronger than circumstances as we trust God to fulfill his promises. So when, if we're doing mission, uh, it's tough, and it can be tough, like for the Apostle Paul. What was it that kept the Apostle Paul going when it was tough, I wonder? Do you want to know? Because he tells us in Romans 15. I'll just read this to you in page 1142. Paul, in verse 20, says, It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. That's not easy. Talking to people, people like Heather in the islands, uh, some of uh, the church will be visiting and praying for with her in a few weeks' time. Preaching Christ, the gospel where he's not known, is a tough gig. And it was tough for Paul. So what sustained him? Living a life for Jesus amongst friends that we have is also a tough gig. How do we keep going with that? How did Paul keep going? When he says, I've always wanted to uh, preach the gospel where it's not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, and he quotes from Isaiah 52, he says, those who were not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. Isaiah promised that through the Messiah Jesus, people who'd never heard about a Messiah or God or anything at all will one day hear and one day see. And Paul said, that's what God has promised and that's what God has promised and I'm trusting God to fulfill that promise and that's why, although it's a tough gig, I will go and tell people about Jesus who don't know about him because God has promised that there will be people who hear and who know. There was a bunch of early missionaries, probably in some ways the, the very first missionaries in the modern missionary movement in, in the 18th century, 1732. They were called the Moravians, and they were a, they were a prayer movement that became a, a missionary movement in the 18th century in Europe. And they, I think it was their first two missionaries, a couple of guys, uh, were sent. And they were on the boat going from Copenhagen uh, on their way to the West Indies where they were going to be missionaries. Knowing that they might actually have to slave, uh, sell themselves as Europeans into slavery in order to reach the people there. It's in 1732. And there were people kind of waving and weeping as, as, the, as the, the boats kind of, kind of were going out of, you know, out of sight as it were out of earshot. And one of them shouted back over, over, kind of shouted above the, whatever, no band or anything like that, but he shouted, that the lamb who was slain might receive the reward of his suffering, which was their kind of, that was their motivational statement. 
And it came from the book of Revelation. You know, in the book of Revelation, there's a picture of of one day in heaven, in the presence of God, there will be people worshipping the Lamb, Jesus, who's been killed on the cross so that people might know him. And that was their motivation. They, They said, because that's what God has promised, that's what we're doing on this boat. You see, a a faith that is stronger than circumstances because we know that God's promise will be fulfilled. We're waiting for the promise to be fulfilled. It's part of Christian experience. Many believers wait in the Bible. Easter Saturday. What's Easter Saturday all about? Why didn't Jesus just come to life on Saturday? Why was there that period of silence and nothing for the disciples? What's that about? Because there was a wait. And sometimes we have to wait. And we're waiting for a massive... um, We're not waiting for the resurrection, not of Jesus. We're waiting for him to come again and to fulfill his promise that he will come. Look at what it says in 1 Thessalonians 1. It says, you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. That's a description of what happened to the Thessalonians. They were worshipping idols. They turned away from that. They trusted Jesus and they were waiting for him to come from heaven. Jesus, who also rescues us from the coming wrath. Look at what Paul says in Philippians. He says, our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await, we're waiting, a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our bodies to be like his glorious body. That's what we're waiting for. There is a wait. And for now, we're waiting as exiles. We belong in this new creation. We belong in God's space, in heaven. And we eagerly await that. But the promise will be fulfilled. And for now, we're to love. Romans 13 says, Our salvation is nearer now than the day we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. Let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. So, shall we let our spiritual family characteristics show? In our lives this week. Imagine that if we did. So that whatever comes our way. Our trust in Jesus. Our our experience and knowledge of him. Is stronger. Because we can live trusting in the God. Who is faithful. Who is good. Who is faithful and present with us. We can live being aware of this bigger purpose that he has that's more than me and more than here and more than now. We can live praying that he will work out his purposes, even those that I don't understand anything about yet through my life. Now that's, you think, well, that's a tough thing. It's not that radical, is it, really? How did you start the Christian life? You understood that God had this big purpose to rescue people who were separated from him. And you realize that you're one of them. You realize that God did this big deal. He sent his son Jesus so that we could be rescued, so that we could be forgiven. And we trusted ourselves to that. 
we turn from, from living just self-centered lives and up to worshiping false gods, to turn from sin, to, to trust him and welcome his rule into our lives. See, all of that was about trusting in his bigger purpose and, 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 and acting on that. That's how you begin the Christian life. If you're not yet a Christian, that's how it starts. It's not a complicated thing. It's saying, Jesus, you've done this for me. I want you in my life. I'm willing to put you first. Come and be my rescuer, my Lord, my Savior. You could do that right now as you sit there. If you talk to him, you could talk to someone afterwards and pray with them. A prayer all about that if you want to. It's not a complicated thing. We kind of just have to keep living the same way. Trusting in God. Living for him. Aware that he has bigger purposes and knowing that his promise will be kept. It will be fulfilled. We continue to live knowing and trusting him to keep the promises he's made. We're citizens of heaven. We may be stuck in a jail, it may seem like. But that's who we are and we're waiting our saviour and our king to rescue us. And that, you know, all of that is way above our circumstances if we can connect to that, our faith can, can last, more than last, can flourish even when circumstances are hard. May God help us uh, to live for his glory. We're going to carry on. going to worship and uh, pray and some other things will happen.